0: Easter, talking about Easter, I love Easter, I love talking about Easter, I love reflecting on Easter. Easter is the hope of our lives, when God did something remarkable. And the thing I love about the God who does things remarkable is that he's unbelievable, because you can't wrap him up in your head, because your head isn't big enough. And Easter is the place where the cross um, is sort of front and center. And the cross is actually on a hinge, and the cross before Easter... Anyway, I would have put a cross here, and it would have been facing this way, and it would be on a hinge. And you've heard me talk many times that on this side of the cross, let's say today, is Egypt. And this is before the crucifixion. This is up until the crucifixion. And then on this side is after the crucifixion. And this side is um, Egypt. This is slavery. This is, oh God, you've given us your Old Testament. You've given us your word. And we look forward to being set free from slavery. And we're all actually born in this part of this realm. Because this world, as long as this world exists, this is the reality of earth. Beyond this is Heaven on earth. And we're called to actually live on this side. But our natural default is to go to this side, because this is what we know. On this side, we believe in God. We believe that he might have hope for us. We believe that he actually maybe even sent his son. But we have to, you know, God helps those who help themselves, you know. How many of you believe that? Put your hand up if you believe it. We'll stop it. You want to come up and argue, Glenda? We can argue. Listen to my gospel because hers is more difficult. What I mean by that is God does not help those who help themselves. God helps everyone. But as you respond to the help that he offers, you will see something change. You cannot earn what God has for you. You cannot be good enough. You cannot deserve it. You cannot be wealthy enough. You cannot be educated enough. Otherwise, only very few can access who God is. It's very important. You can't be too weak. You can't be too broken. You can You can't have had too many abortions. You can't have slept with too many men or women. You can't have been drunk too many times. There's nothing that you can do here that causes God to go, "Ah, this one we cannot deal with. There's nothing. Your greatest awareness of your unworthiness is your greatest qualification for him. And the greatest lie you believe is that you have to somehow make amends and earn it. Jesus did everything on the cross to earn what you can't earn. So the cross is on a hinge because, let me just follow my notes, it might be helpful. What you have on this side of the cross as we come up to Easter, as we come up to Jesus being crucified, is In one sense, the human beings around him, the disciples, were saying, we'll never leave you, we for you, Jesus, we love you. And as it got closer to the cross, their voices got a little less powerful, their wills got a little weaker. Jesus became more and more broken, even in the midst of his courage. And everything began to kind of explode. On the side of the cross. Until you came to Good Friday and, and the disciples, and Peter is the sort of one that we always use because he's the one who speaks for all of us. When he goes, I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm here for you, Jesus. They're coming for you in Gethsemane. Here's my sword. I'm cutting off this guy's He had courage. Some people say worship sincerity and Courage. And Jesus in Gethsemane with Peter, when he lopped off the ear, he went, that was just stupid. Not everything we do for Jesus is smart. It might be sincere. And Jesus can deal with that, but it's just not always smart. And Peter, in his great sincerity and his fear, chopped off an ear, which Jesus immediately healed. I wonder how many times he's going around healing the stuff we're doing in his name, saying, sorry about that, sorry about that, sorry about that. It's my son, sorry about that, sorry about that. You know, you look at other people and say to parents, why don't you look after your kids? And Jesus is going around looking after his kids saying, sorry about that, heal that. Oh, and they're doing so much stuff in my name and I didn't even ask them to do it. It happens a lot. And so they get to this cross and the cross is the symbol of the Roman brutality. The cross is the symbol of everything human beings can do in the name of justice. Everything that human beings and religious leaders can do for God or against God in the name of justice. It's a bloody, nail driven piece, two pieces of wood, notorious in the culture of the day. Nothing new, unique about it. It stands there as yet another testimony to the Romans will never be beaten. Evil always, always wins. Everything we had hoped for, we must have been naive. It was nice while it lasted. I guess Jesus had special powers, but he didn't have that big power. And on Good Friday at that cross where it stood alone after Jesus had been taken and buried in a tomb and a stone rolled over and God's on it and everything was like, I told you so. The most disappointing, disillusioning, pathetic anticlimax you could imagine. And people huddled away afraid because this is the same old story. From Eden to now is the same old story. Evil wins. People die for no reason. The people that should live die and the people that shouldn't live stay alive. And that's the facing side of Egypt of the cross. It ends in a tomb. And we remember what Jesus said and we remember what he did, but he just wasn't strong enough. Now you know what's going to happen, but they didn't know what's going to happen <clears throat> on Sunday morning where the tomb was empty and what you have on Sunday morning was cross being transformed from a place of defeat and brutality and an end. On that resurrection morning, that cross became the symbol of victory, of a God who, who rises up and says, the worst that you can possibly do, which is inflict death, I have overcome. So if I have overcome death, now what? And if I have overcome death and everything my son said was, in me you have seen God. And if I am God and I am true and everything I say is true, then everything changes. But I don't understand it. No, you don't. The one thing you understand is that you're a human being on earth and you're looking for a home. Every single human being on this side of the cross is looking for a home, is looking for meaning, is looking for something to make them feel alive inside. And this, this this territory in Egypt is full and full and full of people in marketplaces saying, I have the answer for you. If you look better, if you're more educated, if you were 10 inches taller, if your boobs were 5 feet bigger, and if this was be- <laughs> I'll stop there. Hey, what's the point of not talking the language of the world? You know, you need a tummy tuck. You need this. You need that. The guys, you know, well, you need to dye your hair. Pity about the wrinkles it's a dead giveaway. But anyway, it'll sell some more Jensen, whatever you call it, because you've got to look good. And, of course, you need to pay attention to your appearance. I'm not saying you shouldn't look as best you can with what you've got. I mean, look what I do. Not a lot. But ultimately, why does Nicky Vichik or whatever his name is, the guy with no arms and no legs, why is he making so much impact in this culture and this world? Because he hops around with nothing and he says, I'm alive inside. And all the people with arms and legs, so I'm not, go, I'm not as half alive as that man. And his testimony is how he tried to drown in five inches of water. Because it's the only way he could kill himself and God raised him up. The cross is powerful. Because he went to the cross and he gave to God all that was broken. And God raised up inside him a life. Egypt is the place where it's trying to do it without God. Egypt is the place where Christians are trying to do it without God. They read the scriptures, but they're still trying to do it without God. Because now I'm going to be the best Bible teacher. I'm going to be the most beautiful Bible disciple of Jesus. God is so lucky to have me when I stand up and they say, Wow, that's a beauty. He's educated. She's beautiful. If she believes in Jesus, then God must be real. That kind of mentality, the whole Christian church markets that. But in Easter, God didn't have any photo boys or girls. I talked three, de- three weeks ago, two weeks ago, he had, a, he had a, an ex-prostitute who had followed him, who was weeping at the tomb, and he embraced her and said, Mary, and she says, Rabboni, everything that I thought was gone, unbelievably, is coming back. And she runs back and tells the others, and they don't believe, and they go back, and then Jesus begins to appear to them. It's amazing. And slowly what you see coming is this side of the cross is beginning to emerge. This side of the cross is beginning to expand. And this side of the cross is beginning to take over. And that place that was a testimony of of Roman brutality is becoming transformed into a testimony of God's victory. And the most brutal, brutal way of dying is now the most familiar sign in the world to testimony to the resurrection. It means something totally different because God did something miraculous. And it's because what God did miraculously that gives us hope. But you can't just watch it from a distance. You have to enter into it. And that's what I want to explore. See, after the cross, the momentum shifts. After the cross, Jesus rises and he appears to his disciples and he begins to scatter, begins to gather, and he begins to reaffirm, and he begins to prove, and he begins to meet these, these tremulous people, these people who are afraid, these people who are full of doubts, like Thomas we talked about. He begins to say, here I am, and they begin to rise up inside. Could it be? And the ones who are scattered behind locked doors are beginning to kind of go, there's hope rising. God's not dead. Jesus, remember what he said? And they take hold of what he said and they bring it over and they they take hold of it into their hearts and they say, it's true. And they begin to find faith rising up because they've never experienced it like this before. And they start finding that there's a life inside that they didn't understand before. If God is true and we are his, then what is there to be afraid of? And in fact, one of the things that happened in the early church was that people began to discover life for the first time. Life to the degree that would cause them to stand up in a marketplace where before they were afraid and said, we will testify to this Jesus that he is no longer Dead, he is alive. And the Roman soldiers say, If you say that, you will die. And they say, Well, then kill me. Because if he's risen, I will rise with him. And they began to experience a boldness and a, a purpose they had never seen before. Because God was taking these fisher folk, these people who had no credentials, other than that they were those who could say, This we know. He was dead and now he's alive. I was dead and now I'm alive. And the early Christians. Began to grow as Jewish believers who were testifying to the Messiah. Eventually, they were kicked out of the Jewish faith. It was always meant to be fulfillment of Judaism. And heaven touches earth where Jesus is resurrected. What we call an open heaven is it happened. Heaven opened when Jesus was crucified, resurrected. It opened up revelation. It opened up restoration. It opened up relationship with the living God. Now he is personal. Now you don't need to go to confession to a priest. Now you can talk to Jesus. The church, it was a huge job action problem for the church because the priests needed the dependency of the people for years and years and years. You need me to talk to God. It still is that way. I'm not saying you don't need leadership. But there's been a travesty of justice in terms of who's allowed into the presence of the Lord. We need one another to help us, but you do not need a priest to be forgiven. If we are the priesthood of all believers, then we can lay hands on each other and say, in the name of Jesus, be forgiven. Satan's greatest thing is to take away your identity and then say, but oh, I'm not worthy. You've got to go to a priest because I'm still a sinner. Well, every priest I know is a sinner. It's all grace. And so we are called to live on the resurrection side of the cross, which is taking hold of the inheritance that has been won. So it's no longer, you'll know which side of the cross you live. It's real simple. You live on the side of the cross where everything, on this side of the cross, you're the focus. Oh, it's my addiction. It's my story. It's my this. It's my that. You are always the focus, but that's the song. It's the kind of poor me, if you knew what I had been through, da-da-da-da-da. You know, a lot of people sing this song in three-part harmony. It's quite sweet. And it's meant to actually evoke pity and sorrow and compassion. And it's meant to leave you standing there forever giving you an identity. Oh, you poor thing, if only I had known. Now, I'm being sarcastic because there's an element of there is a a small place for that for some time. But on this side of the cross, I can talk about what happened over there, but I really don't want to spend a lot of time on it. So I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was in this place, and this is what it was like, and it really is not fun, but I'll tell you so we can identify and have a conversation. But Jesus actually has set me free. I cannot, I mean, for me personally, I'm not going, I'm so sick of my story as, as are you, but I cannot imagine being there now. And when I was there, I'm talking about depression. When I was there, I could not imagine being there. I never thought that would happen. There's a process, but there's an element of some people can accelerate process. You will accelerate process in community. You will stifle process by doing it yourself. There are a lot of people trying to self-prescribe. They pray to Jesus, 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 Jesus. And Jesus says, there's lots of people around you to help. You say, no, no, but they're not the right ones. And then people say, well, no, no, um, you know, that's not the person, that's not the person. So he says, well, I give up. Work it out in yourself. Over here is a lot of pride. Over here is a lot of working it out on your own. Over here is about, Jesus, thank you that you're in me. Thank you that you created in me with a tribe. And thank you that you are going to continue to work through me and around me in ways that I don't even imagine. Now let me explain this to you, or at least illustrate it to you quickly. Because Peter is the one that uh, encourages me so much. You see, what Jesus was doing after the cross was, first of all, encouraging people to know that he was risen from the dead. So number one, if you want to grow as a Christian and if you want to grow in your sense of power, as a, um, this can all happen within about a month because some people are professional skeptics. they professional, well, I'm not too sure, which actually means I believe that I want to do whatever I want because I have a perverted idea of what it's going to look like anyway. So I'm hedging my bets. So they, they, we have this great dance that we do and it goes on forever and ever and ever. Um, it doesn't have to. And Jesus is actually saying, first of all, do you believe me and do you believe that I've risen from the dead? So that's, that's a good place to start. Do you believe who Jesus is? He's the Son of God. He forgives you for your sin. He, 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 he went to the cross for your sin. He rose from the dead. He's released his spirits so that you can actually have power instead of being an empty battery. That's kind of the start. In AA circles it says, uh, I believe I need a higher power. Just don't identify the battery. So people put in doorknobs and Whatever they think. And that's where we have disagreements sometimes about identifying the higher power. I think it's much easier to identify the higher power than you can go. Well, then you can get the power other than a higher something. But it's a start. But I don't think you actually should spend a lot of time. I think that start needs to be accelerated because we need the power. The higher power became a lower power in Jesus. So that you could actually find strength to overcome things that you do not have the strength to overcome. And so that's what Jesus was doing. He was meeting his disciples. He came through locked doors and he says, here I am. And he said, he asked questions like, uh, who are you looking for? He asked really stupid questions. If you look at the resurrected Jesus vocabulary, it's stupid. What are you looking for? What are you talking about? Why does he ask questions? I said this before. He asks questions not because he doesn't know the answer. He wants you to speak to him. And he wants you to tell him what the problem is. I don't understand. I can't believe. Unless I see, I will never believe. All right, tell me what your problem is so I can actually respond. It's a very good idea if you want to grow with Jesus. Start start putting things down that are clear and specific. Walk with people and see what happens. Because God took a very, very, very motley crew of people and used them as his base team to change the world. And he, he doesn't have this... I mean, he, you know, he took Moses and Moses... Had lots of issues. Born in a wealthy family, but he, he didn't know his parents. And he was sort of abducted into a foreign culture. And eventually he spent 40 years, in, the Bible says, in the backside of the wilderness, which doesn't sound like anything other than an advert for toilets or something. But it's not a... It's not a good place. And when when God says, good news, bad news, Moses, I want to use you, what does Moses say? But I stutter, and I've been here a long time, and I've got children. And God says, it's not actually about you, it's about me using you. And so as, as other people say, all he needed was an old man with a stick and a stutter, and he could change the world. And David was the youngest and he was a shepherd and they all overlooked him and God called him out and he said, you're going to be the leader. And for 14 years he struggled before the king. crown of the king was on his head. You see, on this side of the cross is not magic. On this side of the cross is a journey into life, into inheritance. Too many of us are waiting. Yes, I've been forgiven. But I have a whole lot of patterns of behavior that will cause me to have to learn how to live out of my inheritance. Because that's not just going to come naturally. That's what the disciples had to learn. How many of you are looking for magic? How many of you are praying to God that he will do something in you so that you won't actually have to try anymore? It'll just be, you'll, walk up, you'll wake up in the morning and the, you'll have this anointing on you. You'll just lay hands on the sick and they will be healed you, will just, you don't even need to read the Bible because you just know it. You don't have to deal with patience. You don't have to deal with anger. You don't have to deal with encouragement because it just flows from inside you and you just turn on a song and you feel the warmth and you just go, oh, jeez. How many of you are waiting for that? Good luck. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen any more easily than it is going to happen for you to go down to the local gym and say, so I'd like a membership at the gym. Sure, 50 bucks a month. More than that. And you go in every morning and you put on your sexy or not so sexy outfits. You sit there in front of the mirror and you tell your friends, I go to the gym every morning. Wow. For an hour. And the people in the gym go, we have this bit of a nutcase. They go to Jericho Road. They talk to me about God and they sit in front of the mirror in their sweatpants. And, and I said, what are you doing? Chewing on a health bar. I, I'm I'm working on my fitness. Oh, how's it going? Well, I've eaten 15 health bars. I'm putting on weight, actually. And uh, You have to exercise. The same is true with faith and with Jesus. And so Jesus met people where they were, and then he said, now follow me. Now come with me. But the first thing he had to reestablish is, I'm worth following. I'm one of a kind. You see, God doesn't have a perfect will for your life. He really doesn't. He just has a will for your life. And his will for your life is that you're his child, you're his son and his daughter. His will for your life is that you know life. His will for your life is that you have a confidence in him that won't be stolen. His will for your life is that you have energy to live life. His will for your life is that you're infectious with his love and forgiveness, that when people meet you, they get grace and hope. His will for your life is that in your brokenness and in everything that hasn't been right, you actually go, oh, eh, well, it could be worse. God still loves me. His will for your life is that you start saying, trust me with your journey. Let me give you a, 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 an embarrassing. He, you know, he'd said to Peter, how many times does Peter get it wrong and Jesus keeps believing in him? How many times does Peter keep on messing up and Peter, Jesus keeps coming back? You remember when Peter, I'm going to have to speed up here. I, I just want to get this through to you. Remember when Peter says to to Jesus, I will never leave you, Jesus. I will die for you before the cross. And and Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked that you be sifted and, and you're going to fail me. You're going to actually deny me. And he goes, no, 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 no. And he says, before the rooster's crowed three times, you'll deny me. Peter got it right. Peter's heart was, I want my life to count for you. I've never met anyone who makes me feel so much of a man as you do. Everything in me, every fiber of my being wants to be there for you. And Jesus goes, I know, but not yet. You do not have it in you, but I'm going to give it to you. And so Peter, when he is tested the first time, the the rooster crows and he runs away and he says, I failed. And Jesus comes all the way to Galilee where they're fishing and he's going to restore him. And Peter's words are going to come true. They're just not going to come true the way he thought they would. And I want to say to you that to move through the cross and to begin to follow Jesus and to begin to believe that he's risen and to hear his call on your life, you're going to go through times where you're going to say, I want to follow you. And it's not going to roll out the way you thought. My life never rolled out the way I thought. And yours isn't probably either. There are moments and times where all you're left with is the pieces. And you go, I'm done. But the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection is God is never done. He's never done. Because he never relied upon Peter's strength. He never relied upon me. He never relied upon my integrity. He never relied upon my faithfulness. And until we give up on ourselves. And until we actually realize we don't have it in us, He can't really use us. But He doesn't take shortcuts. Now my embarrassing story that happened this week. I've been battling with a virus after last Sunday. I went home and I was wiped out. And I it was, I mean, I didn't even play golf on Monday. And that's a big deal. And I sort of was knocked out. I went to the clinic and all the rest of it. And I thought it was better and I came back. and then I, And in the midst of this thing, for the last <coughs> few years, I've been saying, I want to get a motorbike. And I keep on sort of looking at them and thinking, ah, no, I won't. And, and so in my virus state, I was looking at Kijiji, and there was one down the road, and it was a Yamaha 650 V-Star. So I go off, and Cheryl's saying, how are you doing? I'm feeling all right. Meanwhile, I'm checking a motorbike up. Um, and I go there, and I get a little, and I think, okay, I'm going to just, I can't afford it, but I'm, I'm going to go for it. So I buy this thing. And it's a V-Star. It's, Tina rides something the same size. So it's a sort of girl's bike. It's a 650. No, it's, it, it, and I get home, and I've got this bike, and I drive it around a bit, and I'm actually sick. And I think that's half of what caused me to relapse. Anyway, and then I think, what have I done? I'm just going to have to go and put this back on the market. And somebody says, you know, live a little, John. Somebody else says, well, don't stay alive if you drive that thing. And, and I have been wrestling with what to do. And so that's where it is right now. I'm leaning towards hanging it for a while, and then I'm going to give it to Brian. They can buy it and have it. But the reason I'm telling you the story is... God doesn't have a perfect plan for your life. What I mean by that is sometimes you want something and sometimes you say, oh, that would be so cool. You see, I can just imagine cruising to work every day uh, around the lake and then I start imagining cruising to work every day in the cold and then I start imagining cruising to work every day with tourists and dangerous drivers and I start imagining hospital beds and funerals and so my imagination goes all over the place and... You see, what I think God does is he says, try it. I love you if you do. I love you if you don't. Sometimes, I don't know where this ends yet. I don't know whether um, I'll end up just enjoying it for, for, you know, in, the, in, the, in the summer and it'll be cool. In other words, I'm in a process of adjusting and maybe building confidence and seeing what's possible and praying for money. Um, but but there's, there's something in this that's important. There's, there's, some of us are looking for God's perfect moment, perfect plan. And I think sometimes he says, you know, as you live your life, revelation will come. And there's some things that are going to be surprises. That The things you thought you wanted, when you get them, you're going to go, yeah, that wasn't so cool. And there are other things that when you get them, you're going to go, wow, I didn't expect that. Because he's a father who loves us. And it's not about, is it right or wrong? It's just about, well we'll, well, we'll go on the journey together. And if it doesn't work out, I'll help you sell it. That's a loving father. And that's what God was doing with Peter. Peter went to Galilee. I've got to wrap this thing up. Peter, pe- Peter went to Galilee. He went back to fishing. And he was still devastated. He had seen Jesus. Jesus had assured him of his love. But there was still an ache in Peter that was from this side of the cross that said, I failed. Peter wasn't completely dead on that cross yet. He was still going, I failed. The very thing I said to this man, I couldn't do. And this resurrected Jesus goes, oh, Peter, that's why I went there. You have to know that you can't do it. You have to know that none of you walks through here. You only come through here with me. There's not one bit of you that is going to go through to the resurrection, heaven on earth side, that is not through my blood. And when I see you struggling at grieves me but you're going to learn and so they go they go back to Galilee and they go fishing and these guys are all fishermen they go back to what they know and they, they go out all night and they don't catch anything just like the first time and you go Jesus why do you make these guys fish all night and then appear again and you're the hero and they're all tired don't you wish sometimes you knew the answer to that why doesn't you, why don't you make it easier why don't you appear to them again down in Galilee while they were getting their written and said, let's not replay that. We've been through it. No, you let them go through the whole spiel because sometimes we have to go there. God's for deep work, not quick fixes. And so they go through because this is their default behavior. This is what they do under stress. They go back to self-reliance. And in the morning, Jesus appears, and he appears as a stranger to them. They don't understand who he is, and and we take from that the resurrection of Jesus, and the resurrection appearances of Jesus, right to this day, will appear through people and strangers to us, and it'll be the risen Jesus. They won't recognize him right away. And he says to them, have you caught any fish? Again, another stupid question, because he knows they haven't caught any fish. They're tired, they've been out there for 10 hours. They're hungry, they're cold, they're fed up, they've lost their savior, they've lost their fish. They've lost their livelihood. The wives and fathers are probably saying, what the heck were you doing on this for the last three years? You've ruined the business. And Jesus says, throw it over on the other side, and they kind of go, oh, whatever. And they throw it over and then they've got this huge thing of fish. And somebody says, I'm getting a feeling of deja vu. And John, who always says the disciple whom Jesus loved, says it's it's the master. And Peter, who hasn't learned that he's loved yet and needs to earn everything, puts his clothes on and jumps in the water because he wasn't the smartest cooking in the job, but he was the most faithful. And he swims with all his clothes on over to Jesus. And why is he doing that? Because he can't walk on water now. He doesn't have faith for anything. He's just going, if it's you and you'll have me back, maybe there's hope. And he comes to the place and Jesus probably can be quite irritating at times because he doesn't react. He doesn't go, oh Peter, kind of goes, "Um, why don't you bring me some fish? Because the thing we really love to do is, you know, we we like to to barbecue fish that we've caught and have breakfast together. So let's have breakfast. And they think it's him. They're not sure. Why don't you just declare Jesus? Because he doesn't do it that way. And they... He cooks fish, and then he brings bread, and nobody tells us where the bread comes from other than he is the bread of life, and he hands the bread out, and as he hands the bread out, they know, and they eat, and they're scared, and then I think Jesus gets up and walks, and Peter walks with him, and he says, Peter, they call him Simon, he says, Simon, son of John, he calls him by the name that he called him right at the beginning, he doesn't call him Simon, son of John, and if I were probably acting it, I might put my arm around him, do you love me, do you know I do? Do you, love me, do you love me more than these? Maybe he holds up some fish. Maybe he holds up whatever it is that Peter or Simon depends upon when Jesus fails him. What would he hold up for you? Do you love me more than this? Maybe it's a 650 motorbike. Maybe it's a wife or a husband or a child or a house or a profession. Do you love me more than this? And Peter, without hesitation, says, you know I do. I actually hate fishing now. I never catch anything except when I'm with you. And he says, feed my lambs. And three times he just says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he's leading him through the cross. And he's holding him and he's saying, Simon, son of John, you are mine. And I'm recommissioning you now to be my servant. And there's going to come a time where you actually are not going to be in control of your destiny. The way you die is going to be something that's going to be brutal. But you're going to be okay with it. And those words you spoke on the side of the cross... I'll die for you are going to come true. But now you have within you the substance of faith to enable you to be the man that you've always wanted to be with my spirit alive in you. You're going to live under an open heaven and you're going to touch people and they're going to be healed. You're going to actually stand in a marketplace and not be afraid. You're going to speak words in 3,000. He doesn't tell him there's 3,000 people in your first sermon are going to come to me. And you're going to write up two books, And you can't even write. And your name is going to be known through all generations as a founding member of a church that's going to change the world. Simon, do you love me? Was all he needed. And Simon, because he's still Simon Peter, he's walking with Jesus, he turns around, he sees John, he says, what about him? Because Simon just can't quite get it. And Jesus says, Simon, what I do with him is what I do with him. I'm calling you. And that's the power of the cross, to change a man's life forever, to release heaven on earth, to release priorities, to release a, a way of living that the world is desperate for. What does Jesus say to you this morning? Because he loves you just as, he, as he, much as he loves Simon. Let's stand. Let's just stand with Jesus right now. If there's anything in you that you feel disqualifies you. You know, I've prayed to God and said, I don't even believe in you right now. You can tell him that, and you can say, but the alternative isn't something I really want to believe in either. But I don't know how to get to the place of passionate faith. And you can tell him that, and he'll say, well, I I can make you come on fire, because I am fire. So wherever you are, he wants you on the resurrection side of the cross. He wants you to know that you're his much-loved son and daughter. He wants you to know that he is for you, not against you. He wants you to know that he's cooked breakfast for you. He wants you to know that he'll never leave you or forsake you. He wants you to know that he doesn't want the focus to be what you can do for him. But he wants it to be what he can do through you because you're available. He wants you to know that your life will come alive when it's centered on him. In Egypt, it's centered on you. And he says to you, because he's already declared he loves you. He says, do you love me? And if there's anything that's causing you to say, I'm scared of giving you this, or I'm holding back, then just give it to him. You can even give it to him saying, I don't even want to give it to you. I had to come to the place where I said, Lord, you can have my house and the debt. You can have my car. You can have everything that I love or think I need. And I did that. I've done that a number of times in my life, but I did that very specifically eight years ago. I've never taken it back. I still say that to him. You can have everything. There is nothing. There is nothing, nothing, nothing I hold on to that isn't yours, Jesus. Father, I just speak blessing over each person here today. I speak a new revelation of your love, revelation of your goodness, a new revelation of your heart, that you have incredibly good things. You might have suffering. You might have things that you have to endure. Father will never leave you. And Father, I pray that there will be... A rising up of joy in this place. A rising up of joy that there is really, we're not a sacrifice-focused people. We're actually a servant people with joy in our hearts. That nothing becomes a sacrifice. So I pray that you lift off anyone a burden of sacrifice, a burden of heaviness, a burden of to follow you is not to be alive. And I just break those lies in the name of Jesus. And I pray for you to call up in each person a spirit of life and joy and anticipation, faith to believe. And I bless my brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus for the adventure that is to come. Thank you that you will give us strength to let go of things we don't know how to, and you will give us strength to take hold of things we don't know how to. And you will give us faith to believe for things that we're still so impatient to see change. So just thank Jesus for his love for you right now. Thank you that you're not an orphan, that he is your son, your son, daughter. Thank him. Thank him. And say, Father, I just want everything that you have won for me on this cross. It doesn't make sense. There's lots that I don't understand. I just want it all. I want to be all that you want me to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the power of the resurrection, the good news of Easter. As we finish, we're going to have a closing prayer, a closing song, but there's also opportunity for prayer at the back. If you need to be prayed for or you need just to go to somebody and say, I just want to cement this. I want something different. I want to to say yes to Jesus. Then I encourage you to get up and go. I encourage you to do something because it's always more powerful. There's somebody here and it's not me with an upper respiratory tract infection that Jesus wants to heal. Upper respiratory tract infection. If, if that's you, go to the back and uh, let somebody pray for you. I had a picture this morning of this, somebody who's really uh, was in a, in a, I don't know whether it's a swimming accident or they nearly drowned, and there's fear in them, and it comes up every summer, and there's fear of water, and there's fear of swimming, and Jesus just says, I can, take, I can set you free from that. So if you, if you suffer from fear of any kind, this is particularly relating to water, uh, go and get prayed for, and we just speak freedom in the name of Jesus. We break the curse of fear in the name of Jesus. Some of you have had words that have, uh, you've not lived up to. You've actually spoken this to yourself. You've not lived up to the words you've spoken, so you no longer try. Because you keep making promises and you keep making declarations to yourself. And now you stop doing it because you you, you now insult yourself and you go, I'm too weak. I don't do it. I never will. And I just speak death to those lies in the name of Jesus. I speak death to the lies in the name of Jesus. And I call up faith to believe that things will change. But God still needs your words to say yes. So if you need to give him a new declaration and say, this day I'm going to make a a declaration of change and I need your help, Jesus, and I need the help of those around you, then you go and get prayed for. The only thing that will never see change in our lives is if we never do anything. So I bless what God is saying to you. I bless what he's doing in us and among us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, and I pray for your power to be manifest here today. Thank you for what you have already done, what you will do. Bless you, Jesus. You reign. You reign, you reign.